It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey there, folks. This is a podcast called Wait a Minute, Dad. We don't have to do this. It's no, Patreon exclusive. They know who you are. And they haven't. It's about time you figured it out. Yeah, you guys might know the gimmick. Now, maybe let's say a year from now, we're going to put this out on YouTube or something like that. Oh, that um, yeah, then we'd have to explain that the show is called American Loser. And my name's KP Burke. And we're putting the spotlight firmly on second place, telling you weird tales from American history. With me, as always, my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. Hey, hey, what's going um, well, you know where we're at, Dad. We're at yeah. a shared universe podcast studio in Red Bank, New Jersey. Red Bank. Keeps moving, but it's to evade capture or, uh, I don't know, but it just, it's moving up every time we move. It's, we all know it's money laundering. Yeah, it's tax evasion for me. Very much so. Right. <laughs> you guys know the voice behind the ones and twos over there. He's back in studio, folks. Sorry, he missed one week due to gang violence. I don't actually, I don't know what your excuse was. What our excuse was, we came up for you, I should say. <laughs> right. And now I've been resurrected. He's back, baby. The big kahuna in the building. What's going on, man? Good to, to have you here, pal. Day. The hey. gang violence wasn't this bad this time. I only got shot in the leg. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, well, you know, I don't want to say what town you're from, but you know, you guys have a beef with the town from the people who, you know, they own Great Adventure. You know what I mean? So, it's you always, uh, you know. Oh, Jackson? You mean Jack ain't shit? Jack. Oh, it's game day, man. It's game day. Um, if you guys are new to the Patreon, I want to say go ahead and welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate that. You have chosen to go above and beyond what the normal listeners do, and you gave as little as three dollars, sometimes more. Some of you guys are giving like $7 and stuff. It's crazy. They're giving bucks. Right. Yeah. We're hating it. No, it's uh, nothing wrong with that one here. I certainly do appreciate it. Every penny of this goes to us being able to continue to provide uh, the content that we want to put out to you guys. I don't know how to set up my own podcast studio. I don't want to run my own equipment. I don't want to do all my own weird, crazy stuff. That's why we have a kahuna in the building. And a kahuna is hired by a Ming. And in order to have a Ming and a kahuna... I need you guys. So thank you so much. We're all part of this this weird pyramid scheme of podcasting. Yeah. And in the beginning, rising, there was darkness. It's a, <laughs> a rising Patreon floats all boats or something like that. It really is. I think we're uh, I think we're just under 70 patrons or something like that now, too. We, uh, every now and then we lose somebody. We get it. You know, things come and go. You want to support the show just the once and let us know. Yeah, but something happens in your Patreon that is one of the most interesting case studies I've ever seen where someone will message you and be like, I'm sorry, I can't do it this month, but I'll be back next month <laughs> like i've never heard of that happening and it the happens with Patreon. american loser yeah. it happens with that one too there's also a couple weird other things too but we'll cover some weird stuff uh, uh on that end here um because we are playing to a home crowd we don't have to explain to you guys what we do and we kind of let you guys know and our listeners are smart dad they absolutely are smart. they really are uh we kind of dropped a hint or two in the last free episode and i get a bunch of messages and I'm like it's going to be robert rogers right and I was like, yeah, okay, you guys get it. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> now, we alluded to him in another episode. It's actually kind of funny, too, because our first episode back, Kahuna, I'm not putting you on the hot seat here, buddy. Oh, uh, sure. Our first here episode back right. um, from when the pandemic shut us down for a while. Oh, wow. First episode back. It was you, me, in studio. Um, maybe my sister was there. 
That was like first time in like what six months? It was uh it was certainly a, a crazy one, and I think we got uh old handsome uh over here to call in on Skype because he was down in Florida. Oh yeah, I do remember because uh yeah Skype. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, that topic was actually uh, Nathan Hale, who's uh the okay. state hero of Connecticut, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a great story, and in that story, we kind of alluded a little bit to this guy, and uh, he's got a wild life, and when you bring up his name, I mean, just like everybody in American loser history. Um, you mention his name. Somebody says, oh, that guy, he's an asshole. Oh, this guy. No, that guy's the greatest guy ever. Are you kidding me? It depends on who you're asking. Yep. And much like, so apparently there's a show called Turn, which I probably need to watch because people give me these suggestions. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Let's dive into him. Then I find out they're a character on the show Turn. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I thought maybe this guy was reading something I wasn't reading or something like that. But anyway, uh, it's a great show from what I've seen. And this guy is apparently uh, featured in it as one of the uh, the villains of the show, if you will. Um, but now, Dad, when we mention this guy's name and the guy's name, just to uh, confirm with you folks here, is Robert Rogers. Okay. When we mention his name to you, you thought of a movie you watched as a kid that portrayed him as just this great all-around hero. Oh, yeah. He was he was outstanding. Well, there was a, a movie called Northwest Passage where the uh, Robert Rogers is played by Spencer Tracy. So, I mean, and it's just whole frontiersman. And, uh, That's unfair, uh, though. You yeah. can't cast Spencer Tracy <laughs> and expect to not like what you're watching. Yeah, it was just, it was just <laughs> awesome. And, you know, it had some other, uh, other uh, folks in that movie as well that uh, one, of the, uh, one of the key characters was played by Robert Young. Uh, you know, some of the people of my generation might recognize as television's father knows best uh, back in the day. And then uh, there was also another guy in there that has appeared in a lot of uh, a lot of stuff through the years. But uh, Walter Brennan, Walter Brennan was also the real McCoys on television. So there was uh, there was some heavy hitters uh, for the time. And this was uh, pre-World War Two when the movie came out. I think it came out in like 1940 or so. Um, so, you know, it's uh, red-blooded Americans going to go fight the, the bad guys. Uh, and uh, we certainly needed – we're looking for heroes and recruitment purposes and everything else. So uh, It's one of those what-not-to-like stories. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Well, like we said here, uh, so th- what history often does is it zeroes in on a, a small – or maybe just a small chunk but a big event in a person's life. And then we kind of don't get the lead up and the lead out. And that's why the show exists. We're trying to do stuff like this. So – this guy absolutely fits in here. We had a couple of listeners who suggested him to us as well over the years, or when they found out that we were going to you know, talk about him, definitely said, oh, this is great. I can't wait. Um, and obviously, you can tell a lot of, based on this guy because uh, some circles he's getting cheered, some circles he's getting death threats. So, right. Ah, I mean, just like you. Yeah, yeah, it's a polarizing figure. Two, si- <laughs> two sides to his coin for sure. Hilarious in Jersey, racist in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that actual the um the the greetings from Uncle Vinny's album is actually official. So this will go up tonight. It's a, a complete wide release tomorrow. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, please go ahead and do so. Um, but if you're going to spend your money on something, wait for Escape from Jacksonville. <laughs> um, so obviously, Robert Rogers' life is going to have. Two parts, I would say. That, that seems to be the, the consensus here. The consensus yeah, b- before and after. There's yeah, and uh, that's where it's almost the um, the hero villain thing. Maybe a Darth Vader type kind of a move. Uh, he has all the promise in the world, and then he doesn't live up to it, kind of a thing. Ah, uh, so he has his own prequel trilogy. It's um, it's a good one. When you hear some of the shit that uh, this guy went through, and then you're still uncertain how you feel about him towards the very end. So. 
this episode will only have one part, though. We promise you guys on that one, all right? There's not going to be like a, hey, please remember all these details a month from now when we get around to finishing this guy's story. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> or listen to it, because this isn't a video podcast. Well, we yet. have to book two full hours here at the studio to get this done. So True. <laughs> now, depending on what part of uh, his life you're checking out, you will notice sometimes he's an American hero. Sometimes he's a turncoat. At certain points in his career, he's a military genius, an incompetent drunk with a knack for bad decisions, a criminal, a traitor, a murderer, a hero, a pioneer, a sodomite. Oh, sorry. No, that's not. <laughs> just just making sure you're paying attention. <laughs> it's like, what the yeah. fuck? As we go through the list. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit of everything all rolled into one. Um, he's Robert Rogers, baby. And he's born in 1731 to a Scotch-Irish family, so already you know he's going to be trouble. They're no good, the Scotch-Irish. Uh. All right? Not sure if you guys knew this. But uh, he's born, of course, in Massachusetts and later will be raised in New Hampshire. Yeah, well, he's born in Massachusetts, but it's really just on the, the frontier of, of Massachusetts, if you will. That whole area is really not- This is not a Boston up. boy. Yeah. yeah, it's not a- it's, uh, He's not a Boston Southie, but uh, um, he's on the frontier. His parents were- uh, uh, Scottish Presbyterians from Ulster. So the whole term Scotch-Irish comes into play here that um, they were exported, if you will, from Scotland by British authority, moved into the northern part of uh, Ireland, which is called, uh, the, the northern county is called Ulster, or province, I should say, should be Ulster. Um, and then they uh, are taken out of Ulster, and many, many Scotch-Irish were uh, then immigrated or deported to uh, the American colonies. So there was a, a very large preponderance of Scotch-Irish in, in America, in the colonies, um, pre-Revolutionary pre War. Oh, certainly. And they're, uh, they're a very interesting crew here. Now, of course, Robert Rogers himself is going to be an interesting guy. How does a nice boy born to a Scotch-Irish family on the frontier of Massachusetts, going to grow up in New Hampshire, that's going to be his real backyard. Um, how does that guy wind up getting the nickname White Devil. <laughs> oh, KP. <laughs> are we really going are we going down this path? Yeah, it's uh it's a pretty good one. And it by the way, it's it's done um there's no uh, it's not gonna have the modern sense that you think it has on it. So um yeah, but still, the heavy I'm the heavy afraid. organ music should start right here. Well, uh, again, his life's going to have a couple of parts here, folks. He's going to be an interesting guy. He will spend his youth in the great outdoors of New Hampshire, though, and this affinity and understanding of the, quote, new world will impact his life very heavily. He doesn't – like little things you do as a kid, you don't understand are going to have huge, huge um, – I don't want to say consequences. That's not the right word. A huge, huge influence on your future decisions as an adult. So let's say you were a funny kid and you like to make your friends laugh at the campfire at the Boy Scout camping trips. <laughs> and then you've turned that into 10 years of telling dick jokes to strangers. <laughs> there you so, go. So uh, no career. No, <laughs> a career path. <laughs> oh, it's a brutal one. It's a brutal one. But uh, Yeah, but his family like now. going into the arts. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, as you said, his family started really in Massachusetts, but they're on the banks of the Merrimack, which is really the river that separates Massachusetts from New Hampshire. And New Hampshire really wasn't even a state yet. It's just this vast territory that a lot of different people are laying claim to. Um, but uh, the big thing with this time period is land speculation. There's a lot of guys. And we even have a, a loser reception here. There was a guy from Connecticut that we've covered in the past 
who was also laying claim to a lot of that same territory, that New Hampshire territory, our own uh, Ethan Allen. Uh, uh. Not the furniture guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ethan Allen has not had a proper episode done about him just yet, but we will get to him in the Green yeah, Mountain Boys at some point. Yeah, but a lot of these uh, – your point before about a lot of times we just focus in on one small incident within history or we put a war with dates and that's all we really do. Um, it's the whole intermix with everybody else that's going or surrounding this whole thing that I, I find interesting. But uh, when Robert uh, Rogers was seven years old, the family does move out of Massachusetts and they move up to what now becomes known as uh, Dunbarton, New Hampshire. Uh, so they start a farm, a sizable farm up there. Again, this is wilderness. So anybody that's willing to carve out a section of the wilderness and call it their own uh, – it's, it's it's free for the pickings. It's free for the pickings, kind of a thing, yeah. And you're going for the low hanging fruit, so um, don't what's, mind what's the there? neighbors. Yeah, that's right. Um, we can get rid of those pesky neighbors, uh, those guys that might have a little different, um, you know, social standing. <laughs> that's saying it nicely. The Native Americans. Um, well, he takes to this New Hampshire, though. Did you have anything else you want to say before we get into the first um, his entry into the the military? Uh, no, be well, yeah, because um, you know he he led uh, like kind of a hard scrabble frontier life because uh, um, even before he enters the military, um, there's Native American uh, raid on the family farm. Um, well, shortly after he enters the military, I'll let you I'll let you jump back in there. I'm sorry, I kind no, of de- derailed that, but. Interesting point here, I think, in his, if you will, his upbringing, where he was uh, bread and buttered, if you will, in Dunbarton, New Hampshire. Well, he likes uh, New Hampshire quite a bit, and so much so, in fact, that he's going to go ahead and sign up to defend it uh, during this uh, this weird little beef that's going on over there. It's uh, Over in Europe, it's known as the War of Austrian Secession, um, and that's going to make its way to America. Only here, in classic American style, we're not going to call it that. No, no. <laughs> Here in America, oh, you mean uh, King George's War? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and again, the timeline, uh, King George War in this continent, on this continent, was known as King George War. Um, again, that was a whole European fracas. Everybody's lining up and allying with this one and that one. Very typical of European wars. But King George War, this is like 1744 to 1748. Uh, our Robert Rogers joins up um, with the local militia in the summer of 1746. And yeah, he's, uh, let me see, he's at the ripe old age at this point of 14. Now, by the way, this is also a bit of a precursor. So people trying to get a timeline going here, this is a precursor to the French and Indian War. So he's about 14 years old or so around this time frame when he's joining up to fight in King George's War. Okay. And uh, again, that's going to, it's very, very similar. It's a French versus um, uh, British conflict. Yeah. If you and don't the have various a, native tribes are joining up on either side. Yeah. If you don't have a scorecard, it's really hard to keep track of uh, English French wars. Oh, uh, they have a whole will they, won't they war. thing. It's a, a yeah. you know, a Ross and Rachel type deal. Um, but definitely, uh, like we said, I'm about to set you up for success here, Lawrence Patrick, because he's going to serve the British crown in uh, two different companies, okay? Both of these companies, if you will, are known for scouting. They're scouting companies. What <laughs> is – now, and don't go full on. We got some uh, – <laughs> a couple of Larry Burke's Eagle Scouts are uh, listeners. So, <laughs> and Patreons. Yeah, so yeah, don't go down that Lord Baden-Powell bullshit. Talk about uh, uh, 
wartime military scouting, being a part of a scout party, if you will. Kevin, you know your father. How can I possibly say scouting and not talk about Lord Baden-Powell? But anyhow, what is scouting? To an army scout, um, basically, you're going to be the guy that's going to go on reconnaissance missions. You're going out on the sneak to find out where your enemy is at, where his position is. You're gathering intelligence. You're finding out what your enemy's resources are or lack of resources. Um, yeah, the don't get caught patrol. That's right. Don't get caught it's patrol. The truth. And, and bring that information back so that we're better able. You're gathering intelligence. I mean, any war is going to be won or lost by uh, gathering intelligence beforehand. Later on, um, you know, a lot of these scouts are going to go on horseback and now you've got mounted cavalry scouts that are doing all this. Um, Baden Powell, the guy that founded scouting. <laughs> uh, we tried, folks. Yeah, we tried, but I'm sorry. He can't, you can't because a lot of times people intermix scouting with scouts and that type of a thing. But uh, Lord Baden Powell is a British general. This is much later during a, a different war in South Africa. But um, there's, there's a question. There's, there's a, question. a question in the back. Yes, well, yes, young man. It's, it's only just because I'm uh, morbid curiosity. Now, scouting, obviously, you're you're getting information and getting it back to your base of operations. Is this where kind of like spies come into play a little bit? Or is it like are there spies within different regimes of the the, the army and military? So or? Uh, th there's some multifaceted things going on. That's actually a very fair question. So much so, in fact, that a scout is going to do things that would be considered recon-like. So I would say recon. Recon. Okay. So these guys are doing recon missions. They're going to be out there. Now, also, they can get into fights. These guys can do some fighting. So because they are armed combatants under the rules of war, if you will, a scout is a combatant. So that's not yeah. anything nefarious here. A spy would be a non-combatant who's trying to slip behind enemy lines and acts of sabotage or uh, subterfuge or anything like that. So those guys are actually considered uh, that the punishment for being caught as a spy back then is to be hung to death, as opposed to if you are a captured scout, you are a combatant. So there's more technically honor in being a scout, being a scout. right? And because you're you're still technically a a, a part of the uh, it's the official sneak. <laughs> that's right. a solid way to put designated, it to be designated that's, sneak. Yeah, <laughs> there's rules of sneaking. They obeyed it. They're that's, okay. Right. It really There's, is true. Th th then the other rules, they didn't obey the rules. What if sneaking? I told you that this guy is going to write a book on how to properly sneak? Are you serious? What if I said he has 28 rules for how to properly <laughs> sneak? <laughs> right. um, and, and what if I told you that also these rules are still printed in the Army Ranger School handbook? Really? To yep. this day. If you entered Army Ranger School, yeah. like we talked about, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's uh, you would open up page one, I believe. It's in there. Uh, uh, Roger's rules for scouting. Oh, yeah. Uh, my bad. It's a Patreon exclusive people. You'll hear a little inside. But yeah, I called you. I was trying to write a character for something. And, you, and we went into like, who's the most badass? Okay. That's what that was. Rangers yeah. are up there. Yeah. And, uh, and it, wasn't Robert, before. it wasn't Robert Rogers who actually started this whole scout or scouting idea. But he was the first guy to codify it, to actually put it down in a book and, and list different rules to keep in mind kind of a thing if you are going to go out on these recon missions. He gave it a little more significance. Uh, uh, Definitely. Yeah. As I say, he codified it. He just put it down in a book and uh, that he also was very good at training other individuals in the proper ways of scouting. Now, growing up on the frontier, uh, that was a matter of survival to uh, – 
to him on the on the I also on got, the wilds of New Hampshire kind of a thing. I gotta say, I also appreciate how you're making lingo just for me codifying. I love you for it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue on here, good sir. We're about to. Uh, we we got to start up. Um, uh, I mean, he's getting the military experience here now. He's serving as a scout in this capacity, kind of like you said, Dad. He's out in the woods um, for King. George. Yeah, he he grew up in the fighting for the British. He grew up in the frontier. Uh, by the by, seventeen forty six. Now he's called upon to join the local militia. He's fighting for the British. He's a British colonist, and he's fighting against the French in what is now known as King George War. Uh, at the tender age of 14, he's, he's joining up in the militia. Um, back then, all your fighting was really done during the, the, the warmer winter, warmer weather months. Wintertime was pretty much everybody- Everybody's going inside. Everybody go back to your cabin and try to survive the winter. The wagons the defrost in the spring. Especially when you're up in New Hampshire and uh, up in the- uh, you know, up in uh, northern New England, up into Canada kind of a thing. Just in, in the states where they get fuck you snow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> above, the, above the car. St- the- <laughs> yeah, above the wagons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then, uh, you know, he continues to sign up because usually those types of militia signups were for like uh, one year or for that season of fighting. So, you know, wintertime, everybody comes back to the home base and just try to survive the winter before you go back out again in the springtime. Um, but then in the uh, spring of 1748, Indian raiders come into his own um, farm, his, own, his, home, his homestead, if you will. And uh, they, uh, the, the family barely escapes, but the Indians uh, slaughter all the cattle. They uh, destroy all the uh, fruit trees and everything else that his family has been trying to uh, – cultivate if you will since you know since years ago yeah so all that hard work the house is burnt to the ground all the cattle are are killed the the, the, the whole farm is is decimated so he's got nothing left to lose come yeah come so he's and also kind of a little vengeance against <laughs> the native american tribes that did this and it was more than likely a tribe called the abenakis is that a uh, foreshadowing? Is yeah. that a, I'm assuming that this is an event that we should make note of because it's going <laughs> to come back later in the movie. Well, uh, it gives it gives later in the movie. Yeah, it, it is a little bit of foreshadowing, but it, it is also kind of you kind of get a better understanding of uh, it's the origin story. His, his yeah, his feelings towards some of our Native American brothers. Um, I'm. I'm Again, that's where he gets to be uh, a bit of a, a conflicted guy here because there's a lot of other weird stuff on the second half of his life that kind of goes against that idea. So, again, Kahuna already pulled it up. There's an article, I think, uh, an article or a book, it looks like, called White I was about Devil. To say, this is the longest article I've ever seen it. <laughs> yeah. 335 pages. <laughs> so, the article about him being called White Devil. Um, uh, let's yeah, see. I'm going to have to go for the cliff notes on that one. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be exclusively about Robert Rogers here, but anyway, I got to move the story forward because you two yeah. jerks are not helping. <laughs> it's- <laughs> hey, it's a fascinating origin story, damn it. And it's a Patreon. They're used to us being long-winded. We're almost a half hour in. This is great content. You're definitely uh, getting your $3 worth out, <laughs> yeah. out of this episode. <laughs> so now after getting some uh, military experience at the age of 16 and spending his time working with these scouting crews, our boy Rogers is starting to develop a nice little resume here. And uh, also his penchant for occasional lapses in judgment, that's going to start to appear as well, though. 
uh, early on in his life. <laughs> That's such a nice way to say he yeah, has occasional right. bouts of being an idiot. Uh, it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one here. Uh, so again, he's got this life of uh, on the frontier and stuff like that. But in 1754, Rogers will catch some uh, – he gets indicted, okay, but does not go to trial for his involvement with a gang of counterfeiters. Okay, so uh, they're trying to make counterfeit money and stuff like that. And it was a black eye on his resume for sure, even though he never gets any of the charges here. So luckily, the world has some major, major events underway. And a fellow with Roger's background, well, he's going to find himself in demand uh, for his particular set of skills once again. Yeah. Well, the, the King George War ended in 1748. And pretty much that ended when um, the British... They call it the British victory at, at Lewisburg. Lewisburg was a major fort on the mouth of the St. Lawrence River that the French thought this was uh, – there was no way that anybody was ever going to be able to capture Lewisburg. As it turns out, Lewisburg is captured, but it's really not so much by the British but by um, New England um, um, colonists that go up to Lewisburg and uh, capture that fort. They had a small a bit of aid with the with the uh, British Navy, but um, it's all these colonials that go up there and capture this impregnable uh, French fort, and that pretty much ends the King George War. But again, French, France, and England are back and forth. They're always at odds with one another. Now we're a couple of years later. Things are again still heating up on the on the frontier. Um, the Native Americans are being aided by the French to go torment and, and uh, harass the British colonists. And um, as a matter of fact, there's even incentive by the French for um, scalps. So if any, any a Native American scalps somebody, show them the scalp and we're going to pay you a bounty on that scalp. Now, what they didn't quite figure out is once you take somebody's scalp, can you tell whether it's a British scalp or whether it's a French scalp or whether it's a white scalp or a, a Native American scalp? Or a scalp's a scalp, so I mean, you know. I mean, the Brits are probably a little bit more yellow. I'm just going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> Some jaundice. A little more pale. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have the fluoride in the water. Yeah, anyway. but anyhow, things, things are definitely heating up. Our boy does get indicted. He is thrown in jail, right? Um, but – because of the things that are, are heating up again now with the French, he gets out of jail on bond as long as he enlists with the New Hampshire militia. So it's kind of like uh, got into a little hometown jam. So they sent me <laughs> off to Vietnam. <laughs> you could have just said, put a rifle in my hand, all right? You didn't have to ruin it. <laughs> all right. Or put it in my speak, uh, Fresh Prince Bel-Air style. <laughs> also true. <laughs> so once again, he's a, a military guy. So he's back in. This is going to be a thing that he does here, though. He's in high demand, like we said. And it would seem that the uh, American colonists and the native tribes that uh, live on, uh, you know, throughout the East Coast over here, they're about to get wrapped up yet again in the constant on again, off again, will they, won't they, tumultuous relationship between France and England. But as good subjects of the crown, and also due to French and native attacks on their own frontier, the colonists are forced to bear arms against the French and their aligned native tribes yet again. So the early stages of the war were not going the way the British had hoped, and their defeats were encouraging the natives to begin raiding the frontier with confidence. So now that's the problem. You have that the British is trying to, you know, the, the British regulars, I should say, are trying to uh, have a pitched battle type thing against uh, France where they're trying to handle business this way uh, as they normally do. 
And then also now you have the problem where it's not going so well for the British. So now those Native American tribes, they don't give a fuck at all. They're just like, oh, so it doesn't look like these guys can defend themselves at all. We should just have raiding parties nonstop and they're going after people on the frontier and it's getting pretty bad. Who's going after who? Sorry. So it's the French aligned native tribes are attacking uh, British colonists uh, on the frontier. So it could just be a family. It's not, there's really no real threat there. It's just, um, you know, kind of like the old war movies, if you will, where it's just a, you know, family on a farm there. And then you see in the background, uh, you know, a, a, Something a tomahawk. on the horizon. Yeah, yeah it's bad. So uh. <laughs> now, unfortunately uh, for them, these poor Native Americans here, they're doing this in uh, New Hampshire. And what we know about New Hampshire yeah, there's some badass people in there. Yeah. That's Robert Rogers' territory. Robert Rogers. Under the authority of the British Crown, Rogers will then begin putting – he's literally going to go, oh, I'm putting together a team. All right? <laughs> he puts together uh, recruiting efforts for a unit that will become known as his legendary Rogers Rangers. Okay? Um, you might remember them, Kahuna. There was a, a black one, a pink one, a yellow one, a red one, a blue one. Yeah, Mighty Morphin. And when they all got together, <laughs> they formed Robert Rogers. <laughs> They needed some mass kicking and he had some boots. <laughs> it really is the truth. Um, it's uh, Now, among his recruits will, by the way, be his own brothers and uh, also a plethora of pissed off dudes from New Hampshire that are like, you're raiding, you're killing women and children on the front? Oh, I can't wait to kill. We're putting savages in the ground. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, all up and down the whole frontier from, you know, New York uh, all the way up into up into Maine. And even further south uh, of New York, Pennsylvania, everything else, that whole swath of territory, huge amount of territory, there's no way that the regular British army is going to be able to defend that. So it's really a home guard type of a thing, a homegrown militia that's going to come together. And you're talking about pissed off dudes? Yeah, well, one of the pissed off dudes that uh, joins up with uh, Rogers Ranges is one John Stark. Oh, from the Knicks? <laughs> no, sorry. But uh, John Stark is made a second lieutenant uh, under Rogers. Uh, John Stark, for all our listeners up in New Hampshire, he's uh, a New Hampshire boy. Uh, he's the guy that um, actually coined the term live free or die, which is the state motto in New Hampshire. Live free or die, death is not the worst of evils. Uh, John Stark later on in life is going to become a major ass kicker during the American Revolutionary War. Um, I mean, when you make up a quote like that. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's badass for sure because John Stark himself, um, back in 1752, I mean, years before the French and Indian War. So, like, we're in between um, the war, uh, in between wars with the French. He's captured by this uh, Abenaki tribe. Now, the Abenakis were so far away from where the British colonists were. Let's set up a little more villainy to them, too. You've mentioned them a few times here. They're definitely a key – they are the, the key um, – They're major raiders. They're major uh, – Highly violent, uh, highly volatile. Um, so, what you're saying is they show no mercy? Yeah. They're, they're, no, they're Cobra Kai. There's some Cobra Kai to them for sure. <laughs> Cobra Kai. Um, for the French, fighting for the French. They're aligned with the French. So they're doing whatever they can to um, keep the British colonists at bay. They, they don't want the British colonists going any further than they are right now. And the French are aiding them in that effort. Um, but John Stark is out hunting one day back in 1752, right? In between these 
French and British wars, and he's captured by the Abenaki. And they kill his Uncle Ben right in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they take him back to their village uh -oh. and make him run the gauntlet. Now, running the gauntlet was when all the natives are uh, lined do, do up. Do you know about this, Cahoons? What no. the gauntlet is? Oh, this was, this is uh, one of the weird things where I just noticed this growing up as a kid. That's what a perk of growing up as Larry Burke's <laughs> son is. Uh, <laughs> just knowing these weird natives. So I, I think. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to run the gauntlet, you get every, all the warriors in the village to line up in, in two lines. <laughs> and then you have to run through the middle of them. And as you're running past them, they're beating the shit out of you with whatever clubs or sticks or whatever might be handy. If you make it to the end of the line, they might, um, they might kill you anyhow, or they might do something. Depends that's on a the little, mood. Yeah, yeah, depends on the mood. Now, well, did we make them? Did they make them laugh? Like, or how well you handled yourself as you were forced to run through the this. gauntlet. If yeah. you don't g run through the gauntlet, they'll just kill you right there. So, wow. you know, there's your there's your shot. A good example of this would be um, in Last of the Mohicans when uh, Hawkeye, played by Daniel Day Lewis, has to enter the village to be able to negotiate for the release of his friends. Um, He's literally just walking with his hand up in the air and every guy in the tribe is just taking cracks at him with a bat. Like it's a, yeah, um, it's, it's pretty rough. Right. Well, anyhow, John Stark is forced to run the gauntlet. And what he does is he grabs a hold of the club that the first guy in the line was holding, wrestles it away from him and then proceeds to beat the shit out of all the other guys going down the line. So See? he's a warrior. John Stark is a warrior. And the chief of the village <laughs> sees this and say, hey, wait a minute. This guy is, is uh, badass. He's, much. he's he's one of us. He, ah. he is a warrior at so heart. So he's uh -huh. early revolutionary uh, and he daredevil. Is, he's a hallway scene. Sorry, yeah. guys. That's some comic book. Even I don't know that one. <laughs> Damn. He's actually, uh, John Stark is actually adopted by the uh, Abenaki tribe. How does uh, that work? And then later on, he's actually, well, because he proved himself running this gauntlet kind of a thing that the chief says, yeah, this guy's badass. We got to make him one of our own. Rather than fighting or killing him, we got to make him one of our own. So he's still captured. But wait he's a still a ca so, in captivity. But So just to elaborate, the same John Stark that is a part of the, the Rangers that yeah. Roger set up right. was captured and brought into the tribe that the guy who founded the Rangers hates. Yep. So, oh, okay. Yeah, but John Stark hated the Abenaki even before all of this started. I mean, that's one of the, you know, he was yeah, out. You guys are jumping just, around timelines and stories. Yeah, a yeah, bit. yeah. So but, we're going to try to, I, it's a good point. So in a way to, to summarize this, if I can, for the listeners at home here. So you have this Abenaki tribe, again, uh, very, very violent people, very effective in their raiding, very merciless. Okay. You fuck with them. They're like, they're Native American special forces kind of a thing. Yeah. They're, they're of the tribes that you could be dealing with. This is not the one you want to be taking lightly. Yeah, these are Rogers the has. Let me work here, guy. <laughs> Jesus. You, you know, we they're, the, him, they're bad. They're we bad. Gave him coffee before the show and he's misbehaving. Uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, it's my fault because it's the, just I have so many questions, especially when you're like this guy then gets into the team that right. they're all against. So right. that's why I was like, wait, is that oh, yeah. really the two of them are going to be uh, absolute American heroes here during this early effort on the war? The, the key being that, like you said, Stark gets in. Uh, He's coming from a different background of the Abenaki um, in terms of uh, he probably has a little bit more fondness for them than maybe, say, Rogers does, who's a little bit like, oh, these are the guys that did that to my family, right? And then also the frontier is sitting there saying the Abenaki, 
Um, they're also people that are carrying out the most effective and the most brutal of these raids. So it's not even like uh, John Stark's like, you guys got to get to know them, man. He's not doing that either. He goes, all right, we got to solve this shit. So, so it's like an, it's a more of an understanding type thing, then, is it? Or am if I- you'd call, I've, I've always heard a good example for this one. This example was usually used for um, like the Germanic tribes uh, in Roman times. Uh-huh. I believe it can also be placed in for Native Americans uh, in the United States. If you ex- if you don't treat them as all one giant uh, club treat them like motorcycle gangs. This motorcycle gang, they like to hang out. Maybe they get into a bar fight every now and then. You know, they're, they're not actively like, then there's the straight up criminal ones where it's like, oh, you're getting stabbed if you don't have the, if you have the wrong color shirt on when you walk into this place, they're going to kill you and bury you in the backyard. Abenakis are killing you and burying you in the backyard. All right. This is some Mayan sons of anarchy shit going on over oh here. My God. So, um, Stark just happens to be a guy who, like you said, was able to be adopted into that group because they understood this man is fierce. This guy's, you know, he, he he's got their respect. Yeah, but he I don't. Th- yeah, he he earned their respect, but I don't think Stark has got a great fondness for the tribe because, after all, they were also killing his neighbors and and family members and everything else back back in the day. But anyhow, I um, mean, your original point was that. Um, Rogers is gathering up a group of pissed off dudes who have a hatred for all these Native American raids on their families and farms and everything else. And strong outdoor skills. And strong outdoor skills. I mean, if you're carving out a farmstead on the on the frontier, you're you're not you're, some you're, in trouble. you're not some milk toast little meek and mild guy. You're <laughs> you're you're a hard scrabble for sure. It's uh, it's definitely a crew of uh, guys that know what they're doing here. Now, also too, this is kind of fun as well, because you're getting the uh, the tough frontier types uh, to join up. They're not really going to be well accepted by the British Army. The British regulars, they're looking down. They're kind of gentlemen, if you will. And like, you know, these guys are still wearing powdered wigs and stuff like that. Um, they're looking down at these frontier guys, and they're like, oh, these frontier dudes, like they're missing half their teeth. They're prone to uh, uh, drinking and uh, and fighting with knives and stuff. Like they're a little bit uh, – they're dirt under the fingernail types over here. Now, also worth mentioning as well is that uh, they look different from everybody else in appearance, in physical appearance. They also dress different from everybody else. Rogers is going to sit there. He's the first guy – one of the first guys I can think of to do this. His men's uniforms are going to be green. Right. To yeah. blend in with the so rather <laughs> the than local. showing up, well, the French are going to wear blue, and then uh, you know the, stand the, out the, like a sore thumb. The British are going to wear their uh, you know uh, blood reds, and then you got the the, the French Crips coming through, <laughs> and they're going to line up here. And then Rod, Robert Rogers, and they're like, oh well, I'm going to pay for my men's uniforms, which is not uncommon, by the way, for a commanding officer to do. Uh, they're also going to make sure that they have uh, certain equipment that they're going to be carrying. They're, You're only as good as your musket. That comes into play later, right? Um, and they're going to have these green uniforms on. So they're going to look different. They fight different too. These guys are adopting Native American fighting styles. It's hardly the first time it's ever been done, but important to note, this is the first time that it's going to be done uh, and as well organized. And then as my father said earlier, a good word, codified. Okay. Codified. So uh, codified, codified, depending on how uh, Ben Affleck wants to pronounce it on Bill Maher. (laughs) But anyway, um, it's important to note this stuff here. So, like we said, these guys fight different. They look different. Um, there's a lot going on over here. Uh, one major thing that sets these guys apart is they're also doing live fire exercises. Dad, do you remember the demo dick episode that they said that uh, SEAL yep. Team Six? There, I, I, I want to remember it correctly. I believe that 
SEAL Team 6 did so much live fire drills um, that they actually went through more ammunition uh, in training simulations than the entire Marine Corps did one, <laughs> yeah. one quarter. <laughs> yeah. So now the British Army is looking down on this and like, you guys are just wasting ammunition. What are you doing here? And Roger's thing is like, no, 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 we're running weird drills. I'm having these guys prepared for stuff. We need to be able to – you guys are having pitched battles where you get a chance to aim, now fire. These guys are like, all right, so listen. I'm going to pull like a Mel Gibson and the Patriot thing. I'm going to have uh, my rifle right over here. You have one shot. You have to stick the end of your musket out through this little you know hole in the tree over here, and you get one shot at this guy on horseback kind of a thing. They're training with live ammunition, and it's making guys who are already pretty good shots because uh, what's the line from Crocodile Dundee? If you miss, you don't eat. That's it. That's it. You're on the frontier. Exactly. You, these guys are good shots. These guys are taking a musket, which is not an easy thing to shoot to begin with. And they're killing squirrels and shit like that with it. Right. So they know what they're doing here. Um, but again, they look different. They fight different. There's a, a toughness to these guys. And again, they're not well received um, by the British, if you will. So his men are very well trained in these live drills. And uh, again, shooting your gun and knowing how to shoot the gun are two entirely different things. And now Rogers is fighting the Indians like the Indians. And it's highly, highly effective and at times beyond daring. Earlier in the, uh, you were talking, Dad, in the episode that you sign up for a season. Like, you're like, oh, I'm going to do a semester abroad and go fight in this Indian war. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty much it. Uh, and then in the winter, you go home and to your family and just try to make it through here. Well, the winter, you know, there's no, you can't be doing this pitched battle bullshit during that time. It's usually pretty quiet over here. But uh, guess who's going to start developing these things? And I don't think he's maybe the guy that first did them, but he's definitely the guy that did them the loudest. Okay. Um, his men are going to start using snow sleds, snow shoes, and even ice skates to conduct raids all over the Lake George and Lake Champlain areas during the harshest winter months when they said, ain't nobody coming over that hill except Rogers and his crazy ass men. Hockey raids. <laughs> Hockey raids. That's right. Shot on goal. <laughs> It's the truth. Uh, Rogers' men will have great successes and certainly attracted the attention of the French and natives that found themselves constantly victimized by these legendary rangers' efforts. Uh, you said hockey earlier, too, Cahoons. Guys on ice skates, yeah. hockey, rangers, oh, New damn. York ranger, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Lake George, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, of course, the British regulars, they, they really, again, they don't like these guys to begin with, but they certainly don't like the wild and unconventional ways that the Rangers are now making a name for themselves. So thanks to this new style and approach, Rogers is considered by modern historians. This is 100% true, folks. 100% true. Modern historians consider Robert Rogers America's first special warfare operator. Before the Navy SEALs, before Demo Dick, before the Army Rangers, okay, before Marine Force Recon. Before the Green Beret. That's right. Before the Green Berets, uh, before uh, whatever the Air Force thinks they have. Um, it's, I'm teasing. They have the PJs. Those guys are pretty cool. Um, but uh, They have the pajamas? <laughs> That's right. uh, Power Ranger pajamas. Ah! But before all that, you had Robert Rogers and his Rangers here. So he's considered the first special warfare guy. And- uh, as the first special warfare operator in American history, he's also going to have his 28 rules of ranging, which becomes the standard like we talked about here. Um, did we print out the the, the rules, Dad? Did not, but uh, there's some really good ones. I mean, yeah, Coons, can you pull up um, – uh, while we continue the story, can you pull up uh, Roger's rules for ranging or something like that? That's it. The rules of ranging. There you go. We'll read just a couple of them here real quick. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can find a Cliff Notes version. 
Well, if you, uh, I'll tell you, what, if you scroll down a little bit, um, there should be one in there because number one is hysterical. Um, well, here's number one then. Yeah, don't forget nothing. Yeah, there's a shorter version. Literally, number there one is, is rule number one: don't forget nothing. <laughs> <laughs> rule number Which, two: if you do forget something. Go back and get it. There is no what? Fight Club. <laughs> ah, you took the reference from me. <laughs> and to me, when I read that first rule, don't forget nothing, I'm thinking, well, that goes right back to Robert Baden Powell, the start of Boy Scouts, and his the motto was be prepared. So don't forget <laughs> nothing, be prepared, dude. Mm-hmm. Be prepared for whatever. But there was a lot of different things. Each man, each ranger was to carry his own uh, food so that you're not – the whole group is not dependent upon one guy or or the cooks coming up from behind to to feed you. Everybody is carrying their own shit. Uh, Sixty rounds of ammunition. Uh, always have your your musket uh, immaculately clean. You're ready to go. Um, you're ready to lock and load. There it is. Don't forget nothing. Is rule number one. Have your musket um, clean as a whistle. Clean Patch as- it scoured. Sixty rounds, powder and ball, and be ready to march at a minute's warning. So when it's go time, it's go time. And us. when they are marching, they're doing single file, where British Army is running, uh, you know, in close order drill kind of a thing, marching them out. These guys are now going through the forest with a uh, single file so that if uh, no two guys could be sh- killed or hit with one musket fire. In other words, if somebody fires a shot, you're not going to be able to kill two guys with one shot. There's enough separation um, between them. And they're also running uh, scouts off to the side so that they could see whether there's what they're might be approaching or who might be sneaking up from behind you. If you are attacked, they were to circle around and come right back onto your own footprints kind of a thing. So now you're attacking the enemy from the rear. He had had some pretty good shit going there for sure. Uh, He's also one of the guys that came up with the idea that uh, uh, when you do have a camp at night, and I'm sure this was done too, but this is just put into writing here. So we're giving him credit for it. When you do set up a camp, um, should everybody go to sleep all at once? No, half the crew stays awake, half the crew goes to bed, right? So you run. That is what in the Navy we refer to as the watch, and we watch. are always standing the watch. Right. So, um, another one that he had in here, it was pretty great. Um, I'm looking for it now. Oh, yeah. Don't never take a chance. You don't have to, all right? Hey, I think I can shoot that one guy over here. You know, Why don't we get closer? Yeah. Why don't we just get closer? Yeah. Hey, tent's hey. pretty interesting. If we take prisoners, we keep them separate. To, we've had a time to examine them so they can't cook up a story between them. Mm-hmm. It's smart. It's useful, man. It's tactics they are still used. Yeah, they're still in the Ranger handbook. They have uh, obviously modernized a lot of these two for the, the use in the modern Rangers. But, I mean, again, the, this it's working. His standing orders, Roger's standing orders. I was about to say Ranger handbook. I was like, that sounds like a police move if I've ever heard of them. Uh, yeah, as they're, going definitely the forest, as they're going through the forest in single file. Um, so that they couldn't be, uh, you know, uh, um, attacked all at once, kind of a thing. Um, if they came upon soft ground where their footprints would be easily tracked, they're to split up and then go out in their own separate ways. So it'd be more difficult for anybody to track them because now you got footprints going in a whole <laughs> bunch of different directions. A very, very intelligent um, way of putting things down to paper as to. Uh, you know rules to follow I and mean, that's exactly what he what he did and uh, these guys were all trained to to follow those uh those rules but now these rules i mean it, it's actually giving a little bit of credence so maybe these aren't just the drunken cowboy types that the british regulars are kind of considering them some of the british officers don't know what the hell to do with them here but there's one guy 
uh, that definitely is starting to figure out not only what to do with these Rangers, but what to do with this Rogers fellow too, where how can we maximize his efforts? And uh, this guy's pretty outstanding here. Any doubts about the efficacy of the Rangers are going to be put to rest when a guy by the name of General Amherst, very important uh, guy in the story, the overall story of Robert Rogers here, is his pal General Amherst. He's going to send Rogers and his Rangers deep into enemy territory to handle a nasty threat, a certain motorcycle gang of outlaw Native American tribes that's committing raids all up and down the frontier. Riding through these woods. (laughs) Not alone. Not alone, man. Ooh. Ooh, I like the spin there. The, um, now, again, my father was kind of alluding to it earlier. The other key thing with the Abenaki is that they're so far remote that they can bring the war to you and you don't have the time, the effort, and the resources to bring the war to them. They will, like a sniper, they reach out and touch somebody. You know what I mean? Somebody's yeah. head. <laughs> it's some, it, it, they're very difficult to retaliate against these. The Abenaki are doing raids into new hampshire um northern new york i mean far reaching into british uh, colonial territory frontier territory but the abenaki have really their home bases up near quebec now going through the woods that's that's a pretty fur distance to uh to travel in order to uh to come get them kind of a thing or to retaliate so now you got the abenaki they're deep in the woods over here They're considered largely untouchable. Uh, In fact, they're actually so interesting. They're so deeply in bed with the French that they actually um, largely cohabitate with them and live in a French town. The French town, by the way, is known as uh, St. Francis or, you know, however the the French would say it. But (laughs) Francois. Yeah. So uh, this town of St. Francis here, that's where our boy Robert Rogers and his uh, rangers are going to get sent deep into enemy territory. There's no backup, by the way. That's the other key thing here. If this doesn't go your way, there's no cavalry to come in. You boys are on your own. Enjoy your green outfits and your uh, muskets and your live fire drills. You're on your own, pal. All right? So him and the boys make their way in there. And again, the Abenaki, they're considered untouchable. Any efforts against them would be well scouted out and prepared for. They seem to be able to bring the war to their enemies without the fear of ever having it arrive in their own backyard until Robert Rogers shows up. With 200 of his pissed off rangers. There's 200 of them? Uh, there's actually, there, there's upwards, I think that's only a small contingent of his overall men. He's got like, I think, 12 companies or something like that. Jesus. Yeah, I think he starts out with a little more than 200, but um, he takes some heavy uh, heavy casualties himself. But he's taken, he's taken the fight to the Abenakis, and you got to go through, I think it was like 160 or 180 miles of enemy territory before you could even get to St. Francis. St. Francis is a Jesuit, a French Jesuit um, town or village. I mean, it wasn't some little Indian village. This was a major, for the time, for the area, for the locale, this was a pretty ma- a major establishment. I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's a village. It's, it's houses. It's, it's a church. It's uh, an outpost. It's also got the uh, Abenaki kind of a thing. And what's interesting about St. Francis, too, it was uh, – a conglomerate of a lot of different native tribes, many of which were already pushed off of their ancestral homeland, if you will, by British colonists. So <laughs> the people that are are the Native Americans that are flocking to St. Francis uh, have a long history of being pissed off with British uh, colonists as well. So, Hence uh, why they're carrying out all these raids. But now 
they got to answer for some of those raids. Hey, man, if they wait a couple of years, we'll all be on the same page. <laughs> well, the uh, the assault on St. Francis shocks and surprises the Abenaki. The formerly untouchable tribe now sees the Rangers burn their town down while killing scores of their warriors in an act of frontier vengeance for the many colonists that have fallen under Abenaki blades. Yeah, yeah and I Amherst, General Amherst, who sends, sends the Rangers to St. Francis to deal with this, uh, gives the order not to uh, kill the women and children, but upon entry into the village, um, many of the uh, Native American warriors are not in the village. So the village wasn't as strongly held as it might have been, but as they're coming into the uh, village, uh, the rangers see that there's over 600 scalps on display within the Abenaki oh village. So my God. <laughs> that uh, that kind of changes your attitude a little bit when you see somebody's hair flying. It very well could have been your relative. Seeing their hair fly in the wind. Yeah. Jesus. You know what's wild about this whole situation too? This this Even this story alone, where they raided this particular town, is that if you were to make a film about this, like you could make both sides equally evil and both, you can see both perspectives so well. It's, it's so crazy to me that it's like, depending on who you ask, there's a victor and a winner and a loser. Right. Ah, that's wild. And who's writing the history. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Always comes down to that part here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, you know, there's um, – they burned the village and there was accounts too that if the women and children were spared, now you're burning the village. So as they're retreating away from the village, you're hearing the screams of the, of the women and children who were in hiding. But now the flames are finding the, finding the uh, those who are in hiding. So. Fire finds everybody. Yeah. So – Jesus. It's a brutal thing, this thing called war. That's why we try to do it as little as possible. But – in this particular case, the victories, uh, it's its sizable. It's not like a massive thing. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, you know thousands lay dead on the, the fields of uh, glory, if you will. But the impact is huge because imagine the psychological damage here. The Abenaki are all of a sudden like, oh, fuck, we just got – yeah, they, they finally got us. Yeah, we were moving around yeah. with almost impunity. They probably skipped this part in the Disney movie. <laughs> it's, they most, and they certainly skipped it in the Northwest Passage, but – um, I thought it was interesting, too, that in the movie The Patriot, where Mel Gibson has this whole secret hidden backstory about what he did during the French and Indian War, uh, I think a lot of that was taken from real life uh, situation with the raid on St. Francis, that those same kinds of things were done. So, uh, yeah, That's an interesting parallel. Yeah, that was I, that just what came to my mind. But uh, anyhow, I mean, war was brutal on both sides. I mean – it wasn't just the Native Americans that were doing the scalping. Well, the Abenaki raids, they're going to continue, all right, but they're very, very much so diminished. They're not happening at the uh, the ridiculous over-the-top rate that they were. So now that they've been kind of largely incapacitated, uh, and by the way, Rogers and his men, everyone seems to know around uh, the frontier that those guys are responsible for it. If you want to win over the support of the locals, that's how you do it. Hey, you know how um, the natives were always raiding us and uh, just you know uh, murdering people and chopping off the scalps of our ancestors? Um, apparently, uh, Robert Rogers is just – he went out there and just fucked up a bunch of them, man. Yeah. So all of a sudden, yeah. you're just like, hey, well, okay, he, is he a bad guy? Maybe, but he's our bad guy. So. Yeah. Uh, he And that whole mission on St. Francis or that whole um, raid on, on St. Francis um, – 
you know, they took a terrible toll and, and the hardships that Rogers Rangers underwent to, to complete that mission. I mean, they were near starvation. They were supposed to have supplies meet them on their way back because now you snuck into enemy territory, but now you got to get back out with your life. Uh, the way they handled that raid, that, that's a fascinating story unto itself. Um, the guys are nearly dead from – many died of starvation on their return from, uh, from the raid on St. Francis. But he comes back to um, – you know, to the British side, to the British outpost kind of thing. And now he's a hero because, you know, he uh, got a little vengeance on on the uh, Native Americans on from what they did to the British uh, outposts, uh, farms and, and villages. Well, General Amherst, the guy we were talking about who originally sent him into uh, this territory of the Abenaki to complete this, he's also having successes in the pitched battle side of this war here too. He's turned the side of the war into British favor. And Rogers' raids are now assisting in what's going to be the eventual capture of Montreal. Things are trending positive all around here for this French and Indian War. The troublesome area of the war now seemed to be out west. And uh, Amherst knew the Rangers, and specifically Rogers, would be all too useful out west. So he sends Rogers and these Rangers, who their reputation is um, – I mean, they were always known as tough. Now they're known as tough and accomplished. Uh, <laughs> he sends them out west over here. And they're going to work for a guy by the name of General Moncton. And his new CO seemed to understand just how to effectively put these rangers to use and gave them the daunting but necessary task of capturing Detroit. That's right. Rangers in Detroit. So, uh, the <laughs> they're not playing hockey. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the rangers are successful, by the way. And uh, while they're com- they, they wind up taking Fort Detroit. It's known as Fort Detroit at the time. Fort Detroit, right? Um, and uh, – of course, we cover this in another episode too, but Detroit was originally discovered by a guy by the name of like uh, Montier Cadillac or something like that. So, uh, of course, all these things are going to come in here. Now, uh, of course, there's another guy whose name's going to be pretty famous. It's going to come up later on in the story here. But for the time being, Fort Detroit is now in the hands of Robert Rogers and his Rangers. And uh, things are going so well for them there that they're actually receiving surrenders from French outposts all up and down the Great Lakes area. So the war is not over yet. But it looks like things are going so overwhelmingly well for the British now that Robert Rogers and like, I, I, are people surrendering to me? Is this happening now? Do, do I own a fort? I, I, That's it. I mean, shit. I was growing up. I just liked shitting in the woods out in New Hampshire when I was growing up as a kid. Now all of a sudden, people are surrendering to me. This is ridiculous. So. Um, now, Robert Rogers, like we said, that's in 1761, just to keep the timeline going for you uh, here, folks. But um, the war is also going to continue, but it is definitely coming to a close here around this time frame in 1761. There's really no use for these Rangers anymore. And the elite fighting force known as Rogers Rangers is disbanded, having served their purpose, helping to win the war and start what will become a whole new type of combat in North America. Rogers, by the way, had even paid his own men out of his own pocket during the war after their pay had been captured by the French. So there was a whole like, you know, hey, here's your chest of money kind of a thing that the British are bringing around. Of course, it's the British. So they probably uh, had to, you know, the case open with the gold flying, you know, out here. <laughs> and the bagpipes. Playing. Oh, yeah. Bagpipes <laughs> playing, drummers, everything like that. And the French are like, we're just going to take this, guys. So, but anyway, it's pretty wild. Uh, he will wind up paying his men out of his own pocket for this, which is not uncommon for the time being. Um, but he's also not going to get reimbursed by the British crown for this one here. And by the way, now that he's been disbanded, if you will, 
he's pretty much forced retired. And because you were telling me this, Dad, he's going to be retired at half pay. Now, what's the reason behind that? Well, no, it was the the uh, armies at the time. First off, a lot of these officers paid for their commission, and we've talked about that on previous episodes, that if you had enough coin, if you were landed gentry, if you will, you could buy yourself uh, an officer's uh, rank within the army. Uh, in a time of war, you were, were given half pay. If you are now between wars, so you're not fighting the French right now, um, they would put you on half pay. So you're still holding the rank. It's like you're going in, you're becoming a reservist. And you're not an active reservist. You're just a reservist and you're being put on half pay. So you're still drawing a salary, but if they need to, they're going to call you back up and then you would go back on to full pay. But um, old uh, Robert Rogers is now put on uh, on half pay because he's really not needed right now because there's no need for a ranger force at, at this particular point in time. Well, I mean, it's going to be uh, – he's also, again, like we said, not getting paid back and reimbursed for the money that he was paying his men here. Yeah, and that was huge too because he um, paid for a lot of the equipment and paid the salaries of a lot of these guys just to uh, – on his own, out of his own pocket. Now he's looking for reimbursement. That's a big and he's shit. not getting it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big shitty uh, in the long run as well. And we, we see this later on during the American Revolutionary War too where there are, are people with money that are paying out of pocket to keep the, the fight going. But uh, uh, Rogers is looking to be reimbursed for what he put out there. But there's a – change in uh, leadership, if you will, that uh, he's he's being denied. Uh, he's getting the, the no on that one. Now, keep in mind, the French and Indian War is going to continue going on for a couple more years here. It will not come to a full end until 1763, but for about two years after his capture of Detroit, Rogers will find himself getting married, becoming a landowner in his beloved New Hampshire. Okay, yeah. Where, a- where does he get married? In Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And we'll come back to that towards the end of this story, <laughs> but I got a little uh, a little uh, caveat for uh, Portsmouth. Well, a soldier without a war is a bad thing, all right? It's not hard to picture Roger spending his time as a civilian, similar to the opening scenes of Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now, staring up at the fan. Been 10 days since I've been on a mission. <laughs> Just staring there, sweating into the night. <laughs> but he's got money problems, and these struggles with alcohol are going to begin to get the better of the old ranger commander here. Luckily for Rogers, though, there's a Native American warrior, okay, who's going to come out in the Fort Detroit area. He's going to actually lay siege to Detroit, this Native American warrior. Um, Kahuna? So we said, I believe Detroit is uh, captured, I'm sorry, uh, originally discovered by a guy by the name of Cadillac, okay? And then now Detroit is going to be what they're going to name it, Detroit by the French. Um, of course, uh, the Dodge brothers and the Ford brothers are going to be there soon. Um, who do you think beats him to the punch? Le Buick. Le Buick. <laughs> Buick is in there too. Some, he's in yeah. there as well. Um, Wait, what? But, no, there is one for that. Remember? Nah, you're oh, kidding. From the John Ford episode, but you're not even ready. We're not even going to go there because this one's even better. <laughs> Take too, this too native, long to bring it back again. Let talk out. This Native American, <laughs> <laughs> this native American warrior is uh, he's going to lay siege to Detroit. And Robert Rogers is like, well, hey, 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 I took Fort Detroit. You don't take Fort Detroit. That's my fort. And uh, he's going to wind up uh, getting back into the military here in order to uh, kind of get back out there. And uh, he's going to go up. 
the guy's a pretty accomplished Native American warrior. I know his name. His name is General Toyota. <laughs> That's right. When I tell you it's Pontiac, I think. No! <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, um, you ever like last so hard you're get a little dizzy? Yeah. <laughs> no way. Pontiac, baby. Oh, man. Pontiac is in full on rebellion and attempting to take Fort Detroit in the summer of 17. I was going to have here, 1763. <laughs> I don't have my iPad today, folks. I came right from work because I'm here to play and I got to reward you guys for your work. All right. My album comes out in April. Please buy it so I can. <laughs> uh, Rogers will rejoin his old pal, General Amherst, in an ill-fated attempt to break the siege at Fort Detroit. On July 31st that year, Rogers and the British troops will fight a bloody battle aptly titled the Battle of Bloody Run due to the creek running red with the blood of Pontiac and Rogers' men. Pontiac is able to claim victory on that day, but his efforts in the end were unsuccessful, and Fort Detroit will survive the siege. Now, due to the outstanding debts, some from paying his own men's wages and uh, providing them with uh, top-of-the-line equipment so they could be the elite fighting force on the frontier that they bar, um, and also that was from the French and Indian War, but he's now severely in debt. And uh, remember what we said earlier? What a smart young man he is, but oh, he's also counterfeiting money. Um, yeah, a couple that, bad choices. Yeah, here's his bad choice for this one. You know, guys, I was thinking, um, so the British crown owes me this money because I was paying my own men out of my pocket. I'm a little bit of a war hero, you know? Um, I got this idea, all right? It might sound reckless, but I think I'm going to gamble my way back into prosperity. That's it. One good bet, man. That's all I need. I need one pony to cover. <laughs> That's right. That's what I said at one wing during Vegas, and I don't remember that weekend much. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, see, we all make bad choices from time to time, but yeah. uh, somehow or other, this one didn't work out for old no. Rogers. He it works out in it blows up in his face to such a degree that <laughs> Robert Rogers is thrown into debtor's prison in New York. Okay, debtor's prison, by the way. Not uh, a place to be. Well, not fun. No club met. My no. father wouldn't be there now. You and I would be there, though. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 110%. Yeah. That's where we would have met. We're artists. <laughs> <laughs> so now Brothers from, in bondage. We would have been cool with the guards. They would have been like, oh, another, made another short film again. Yeah. <laughs> Thought it'd be successful. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Rogers is thrown into debtor's prison in New York, but somehow escapes. He makes this kind of another little um, pension of his that uh, he's able to uh, pull off these escapes from uh, uh, debtor's prison, if you will. Now, How are you going to try and escape from debtor's prison? Like, like that's got to be like a low point. In I want to say it's like idiocracy where he just goes, oh, I'm actually supposed to be getting out today. <laughs> but don't you owe money? No, no, I paid that. No, they owe me money. You don't understand. Yeah. I'm debty prison. Oh, so, my God. Uh, anyway, he winds up uh, bailing on that one here. But now you're a hero on the run in your own country. What the hell is a loyal British subject to do? Well, Kahuna. Turncoat. He gets on a boat and heads for England. Now, you can't be a turncoat yet because there uh, is no America. They're all British subjects. Not yet, baby. They're British colonies. Now, still British colonies at this point. His hopes are to use his fame to get reimbursed for the money that he spent creating the King's Fierce Frontier Fighting Unit and to also maybe try and, you know, he's not going to make a short film like you were just saying, Coons, but he is going to say, well, what if what if I wrote a book and then maybe a stage play about what I was doing over there? Also, he launched a Patreon instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something Robert like Rogers for just as, uh, as little as three doubloons a month. <laughs> 
<laughs> After all, I mean, his Ranger book is pretty popular. That's getting circulated around all over the place. And his plan works, and the book becomes a stage play as well. In his published journals, okay, his published personal journals that he kept, he tells of uh, the, his exploits and also gives a strong firsthand account to those in England about the wilds of the New World and fighting the savage natives and stuff like that. Uh-oh. In another writing, though, he paints a very, very sympathetic and nearly warm depiction of Pontiac and the native peoples. Describes them as very sophisticated folks here and uh, almost has an admiration for Pontiac. Great cars. Well, when he did, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> when he disappears, by the way, Pontiac just kind of disappears from the history books. He kind of fades into obscurity. Uh, a lot of his legend, especially in uh, American culture here in American history, is remembered by Robert Rogers. So it's a pretty, um, pretty interesting little uh, dichotomy there. But uh, that's pretty cool, actually. Well, he, he, these writings are so intriguing too, because you're talking about fighting aliens. If you really, if you just accept, and some people have such a hard time with this one. I mean, I used to get into it with this one chick in my one Native American studies class at Brookdale because she just, she couldn't be woke. She, she couldn't not be woke, if that makes any sense. <laughs> if you accept that these people are fascinated by this story, because you're saying, oh, the new world. Oh, so this is like, we went to uh, uh, an astro terror dome or something like that on another planet, and we're fighting, um, you know, uh, uh, xenomorphs. You're going to want to speak to what are the xenomorphs like over there? Yeah. Like, well, actually, they're very sophisticated. You know, <laughs> we're in the age where people thought there were medical differences between various races of people, so I can understand And that you could right. tell what a person's life was going to be by feeling the bumps on their head. Yeah, like some crazy <laughs> shit. And, so. that, right. and that cocaine was well, cocaine is great for your teeth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me go ahead and tell you guys. <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, his, these books in the stage play are actually so well received for the most part that uh, he winds up getting an audience with King George III himself. King George III has been appearing in a lot of American loser works lately. Here. Yeah. He, uh, not- he had a long reign and uh, he was pretty uh, – he was involved with a lot of different shit in American history he early was. on anyhow. Well, uh, while speaking with the king, he proposes this idea that, uh, hey, King George, would you – all right, would you kind of be willing maybe just let me find this Northwest Passage? They're always talking about this Northwest Passage thing. Dad, what is the Northwest Passage? Well, the Northwest Passage is uh, what the English called or uh, termed this supposed way of getting from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And actually, that has a very long history that a lot of different European nations and a lot of different people tried to find this waterway, this waterborne passageway from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Um, I mean, right back to to Columbus. Columbus is an Italian working for the Spanish, trying to find his way to India. That's why when he lands in the Caribbean, he calls them Indians. The stories are deep-rooted, like everybody knows. So we're we're trying to find this secret, uh, obscure uh, passageway to get by water from one ocean to the other. Uh, Henry Hudson, he's an Englishman. He's hired by the Dutch. He's trying to find the Northwest Passage. Uh, John Cabot, another guy, um, he's trying to find, uh, he's an Englishman as well. He's trying to find this Northwest Passage. Um, uh, Cartier and there's a there's even a Spanish guy who's now sailing up the Pacific coast uh, working for Spain. And he's trying to find well, if there's going to be a passageway, maybe I can go from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean and find this 
Northwest Passage. Well, there actually is a Northwest Passage, but you've got to go all the way up to the top above Canada and probably going to have to be dealing with a whole whole lot of ice and stuff. Uh, now with global warming, they're starting to speculate about we're going to have these new shipping lanes. So by today's standards, now that that's things a, have shifted. That's a that's another whole situation right now. That um, is there a Northwest Passage? Yes, there is. Is it? The same. Is it is it the same from what they originally thought? No. I mean, the first time they went down the St. Lawrence River, they thought, hey, shit, this is it. And that St. Lawrence River is going to take us into the Great Lakes and we're going to explore the Great Lakes. But, you know, the Great Lakes end about halfway across. Um, you're not going to make it all the way. But there is a Northwest Passage. But back in Robert Rogers' time, they were still trying to find this Northwest Passage. It wasn't until the next century that uh, – they actually do find the Northwest Passage, but but he tried. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he made an attempt. I mean, he he knows he knows uh, New England and he knows a good part of of Canada. So maybe this guy is the guy that's going to be able to explore North America and find this elusive Northwest Passage. Well, between his uh, permission to seek out the Northwest Passage, that also comes with a nice little appointment as a royal governor. There you Not go. Not bad for the kid who used to shit in the woods in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's moving on up. So things seem to be looking good for old Roger, uh, Robert Rogers, but upon his return uh, to America, that is, he's going to find that his old pal, General Amherst, whom he'd been loyal to for years, has now been replaced by General Thomas Gage, uh, one of Amherst's biggest rivals, who also openly hated Rogers all the way back to his ranger days. And uh, General Gage is, uh, I don't want to use this word. So I'm not going to. Let's find a different one for uh, – General Gage is a bit of a uh, see you next Tuesday, if you know what I mean. <laughs> All right? Uh. And it's not good. He's definitely a jerk. Uh, and, and when you see what he pulls, you're going to totally understand why. Yeah, well, Gage has also got some uh, some history uh, later on with the American Revolution. But He sure uh, does. We'll get to that later. <laughs> He's got something stuck up the old battle chute. That's, that's right. <laughs> What's going up – where it should be exiting, but yeah. So Gage is considered, uh, oh, well, he, he's, by the way, a sophisticated man. He's an officer indeed, you know? I mean, he looks like that type of dude. <laughs> uh, like, he's he, the, he, he looks like someone that's very punchable. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, right. careful. The face only a mother could beat. Deserving so, of a punch. I'm, I'm a little concerned because the guy kind of looks like me a little bit. <laughs> And he was like, I hate this guy's face. <laughs> hey, it doesn't happen often. I just don't it, I don't like his face. Anyway. But General Thomas Gage, he's definitely a sophisticated, uh, picky in the air type kind of an officer here. And hated Amherst. Uh, and uh, by the way, Amherst was promoted to bigger and better things too. So it's not like he's been kicked out or defeated or anything like that. But now Gage is able to kind of run things without worrying about him over here. So um, what winds up happening is that there's this immediate beef, okay, Um he considers Rogers an upstart, a violent drunk, and far from the proper gentleman leader like himself from a good family. That being said, even though Rogers was technically still military at half pay, um, his appointment – it came from the king. So you can't really mess with what the king is saying. It makes it impossible for Gage to ever challenge him because all uh, our boy Rogers has to do is just sit there and be like, uh, hey, King George, um, don't have to do what this uh, jerk off says over here. Is, is it true what uh, is it true what Dickless over here is saying? It's true. This man has no, no dick. dick. <laughs> <laughs> so Gage puts uh, plans into place in order to have Rogers removed from his post as royal governor. That's the only way that he can get rid of him to not have to deal with him. 
And in a very, very weird turn of events, Robert Rogers, who is a uh, an ass kicking, uh, uh, you know, special warfare operator um, with a penchant for uh, maybe you know gambling, maybe some bad financial decisions, he's now in charge of a lot of big, big, important things, and he somehow just does really, really well at it. He begins parlaying with the French, providing services to the citizens, creating peace trees with the Indians, and kind of minding his own business. Meanwhile, while he's just sitting there doing what he's got to do in this new royal appointment from the king, trying to build a better life for himself and his wife and uh, maybe a kid that's going to be coming down the road here, Gage will trash him openly to anyone and everyone who will listen. He calls him a drunk that hangs out with the savages. He questions his loyalty to the crown. Gage was even trying to get Roger's mail intercepted by spies, but was unable to read it until a guy by the name of Nathaniel Potter, whose job was Roger's private secretary, found himself offended by an interaction that he had with the ranger commander. So apparently, Robert Rogers said something, all right, along the lines, I, I, we don't know what, we don't know what was said, but all of a sudden, Nathaniel Potter was like, oh, uh, General Gage, uh, what would you like to know? Uh, I'll give you everything. I'm an open book. I can't, I got to He did something that pissed me off. So a little nice bitter employee thing going on here now too. And gets to the point where Potter's actually willing to swear that he has proof and has heard Robert Rogers say that he will give his entire command and outpost to French hands, okay, if the British crown doesn't let him rule how he wants to rule. So he maybe has some interest in turning over all their progress over to the French anyway, which is very, very, very unlike anything we would have heard out of Robert Rogers up to this point. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's paper thin evidence here. Uh, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but um, he's able to actually pull this one thing off here because Potter's going to claim that he knows of this plan, and uh, he's actually going to swear in an affidavit to it. So, despite the shoddy evidence, Rogers is arrested and delivered uh, in chains to Montreal for his trial. Gage has now gotten exactly what he wanted. He just started enough rumors, got enough bitter people against him. Oh, we got him out of town now, right? So they sent. It's like freaking high school. It really is, and he gets him over. He, it's, it's very much like high school too in this next part because he gets him sent to Montreal. But uh, guess who's kind of running things over in Montreal? General Amherst. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you just sent him to his butt, like one of his best buddies, who's going to sit there. Amherst is like, "This is ridiculous. Are you kidding me right now? You guys are nuts. This is ridiculous over here." So um, his allies, Amherst allies, and then Amherst himself used their influence to get Rogers acquitted of all charges. The king himself approved of the acquittal. Unfortunately, Gage could not be admonished as a liar because the affidavit was sworn as true. So even though King George is like, man, Gage is being a real, I mean, he is just a, a full-on PMSing hormonal teenager whose sweet 16 was just ruined. You, you had the perfect analogy relating him to Walter Peck. I will just, I will <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I'll just have that image in my head for my casting couch. May I please ruin your career? <laughs> so anyway, it's pretty nuts uh, over here because Gage can't be admonished as a liar. Unfortunately, Rogers will return to England because what's he going to do? Is he going to sit there and go back to uh, the territory? He's obviously, you know, he can't really operate as the royal governor anymore after this disgrace that he just suffered. He showed up in Montreal in chains, even though it was, you know, not for long and his friends came through for him. He's walking up and, and he spots his buddy. Hey, what's up, this man? Guy. Like, what's going on? <laughs> not much. Did you see the chains? Yeah, I see him, man. Let's get that worked out. 
So it's pretty nuts. Um, he's going to wind up returning to England to ask for the money from the crown to help with his debts and his new family. Uh, his son had been born around this time, finally. Um, so funny thing, though, while he's over in England, those troublesome colonies were up to no good again. Uh-oh. The king wouldn't get involved, so Rogers went back to debtor's prison. Okay, He winds up back in debtor's prison again. This is the second time. And this is the most – this is something I, I admire the guy for uh, his moxie on the battlefield, the way he organized and all this other stuff. Dad. Mm-hmm. This one is where I was just like, you petty, spiteful man, this must feel as good as forcing the closing of a sale in a house in Jacksonville and profiting because it dragged <laughs> out for so long. Uh, That's another story. For I don't even time. get that <laughs> reference, but I get it. <laughs> those, those troublesome colonies, if anyone would just watch my appearance on Irish Goodbye Podcast, it's on YouTube, folks. Um <laughs> Those troublesome colonies are up to no good again. And uh, again, Rogers is in debtor's prison. How's he going to get out of debtor's prison this time? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to sue Gage. So he sues General Gage saying like, oh, well, I mean, look, look, this guy put me into the debt here. It's all his fault for all the shit that he pulled on me. And Gage is like, well, I mean, I, I, it, it's kind of one of those frivolous lawsuits where the intent is to force him to do exactly what he does, which is settle out of court just to make it go away. Like, come on, man, I can't have this stuff on me right now. Are you talking? Well, how much money do you need? And Gage winds up having to cough up some cash to get our boy out of jail. So, but Gage bought that upon himself. So, like, I understand of he's being a bit of a petty Mercury. But like, <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and just be mad at the dude because he tried to collect a check from the asshole who ruined his opportunities to get a check in the first place. Well, he gives Rogers half pay as a major now in order to drop the suit. So he winds up dropping the suit. And yeah, the boys, so he's back to he's, half pay again. But he's military again, though, right, too, which is pretty right. cool. And it's an out-of-court settlement. So Gage's name is never really besmirched by this colonial ruffian, uh, you know, Rogers kind of a thing. That uh, Did you just quote him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time Rogers returns to his native land, remind you, it's crazy here. He's a British subject, okay? He's been a British subject his entire life. But he's from Massachusetts originally, New Hampshire. He's from the frontier. He has fought in two wars uh, up to this point, Pontiac's Rebellion that he fought in, uh, uh, King George's War. Yeah. And then the French and anywhere. So it's really three engagements that he's been in, uh, all as a British subject, but as a North American British subject. And he's not born in England or anything too, but he is finding himself, you know, I got to go over there. It's kind of the homeland kind of a thing. But- the, uh, by the time he returns back to the United States, the soon-to-be United States, I should say, the revolution is well underway. Yeah, he's, he lands in Maryland in August of 1775, so our uh, history buffs, our uh, Patreons out there will know that uh, news of uh, Lexington and Concord is already uh, four months old. So the Battle of Bunker Hill has shown uh, what these Native Americans are really made about, and many former Not rangers- bad. Who was at- the Battle of Bunker Hill. Uh, Battle of Bunker Hill, I think, uh, uh, was under the firm hand of Mr. John Stark. Mm-hmm. You remember Live Free or Die? Well, he's 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 large and in charge on, on Bunker Hill. Yeah, Not that's- in charge, a- but he's he's one of the guys. And there's a lot of uh, former Rangers that are now um, fighting against the British under this new, uh, these new American colonists, if you will. Um and there's many that say that uh, had it not been for the Rangers and their their training under uh, Robert Rogers, that uh, that they, they would have folded. The American Revolution would have folded oh, yeah. early on because there was nobody there to really uh, take up the take up the cause. No pressure, Cahoons. What's the the, the 
first battles, if you will, of the American Revolution. You know them. You've definitely heard them before in your life. Features the shot heard around the world. It's in Massachusetts. Nah, I don't even want to guess, dude. Like, but, it's that bad right now. Nah, you're good. It's Lexington and Concord. You knew that. I know ah, you knew that. <laughs> so, See, like, but you know what it is? It's just that I, I get the course of events. It's just placing them is where I get fucked up. That's what fucks me up. Well, I know in that you're not bullshitting. Mean, yeah. What? In the timeline? Yeah. In the sequence of events? More or less, but yeah. it's just the names of certain things. I always think it's one thing and not the other. We also know he's not bullshitting for the listeners. Home. We're not bullshitting. He's just like, oh, I don't know this one, but I know the other. Because then what Kahuna will do is it's, a, I, it's part of the joy of being friends with you. You will then ask a question that is so bogged down in a detail that's so specific to the event, but you just couldn't remember the name of it, where it's like, you're one of those people who are like, I remember everything about you as a human being. Uh, except your name. Except- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, my. Damn, I feel... Co- How are your true. three kids? Oh, my God. Did you ever finish film school? Or yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great What's seeing you. Uh, uh, do we follow each other on Facebook? Maybe just... Um, oh, can't be stopping. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> An important Holy note, shit. though. So, Lexington, uh, it, to really boil it down, Lexington is going to be shots fired. Okay. okay. That's the big thing here. It's not really. It's it's a tiny little skirmish. It's really almost like, um, uh, you know, we're just we're, we're popping, you know, taking shots at each other over here. Yeah. Concord is actually going to be uh, when the British troops are marching and thinking they're going to handle some stuff, going after a uh, powder supply, and the Americans just start unleashing hell on them. And this is when the first time that the British are sitting there, like, hang on, the Americans fight like the natives. Against us? Yeah, what? right. Uh, no, they're supposed to fight a pitch battle. They're they're like us. Right. They're Europeans. They're supposed to line up in neat rows and fire fire volleys so at one another. Yeah, so that ranger style of warfare is showing up immediately in the revolution at this uh, battle of Concord, if you will. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, and I was I remember that reading being there on a family trip that we were on. Concord yeah. was like th- that was that's top five for me being yeah. there. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the Go British the march shows. out of Boston to capture. Um, military stores, gunpowder and stuff at Lexington and again in Concord. And they were also going to try to capture some of these upstarts like uh, uh, um, who's our uh, – who's reception there? Um, we have a couple. Uh, anyhow, uh, they're going to try to capture some of the leaders of, the, of this revolutionary thought, if you will. But their retreat, if you will, back to Boston – they suffer tremendous losses because now they're being picked off. They wanted Sam Adams. That's who you're Sam talking Adams, about. Thank yeah. you. Um, they're they're being uh, picked off as they retreat back to Boston or back to the safety of, of Boston. Um, that's right then being held by the British Army. But uh, yeah, these are regulars, these rangers, if you will. They're fighting them Indian style, you know, hiding behind trees and picking them off, uh, shooting at the officers and all this uh uh, totally uncool. <laughs> but it's the ranger warfare. influence but, on warfare right. that's getting pretty great. Absolutely. Over here. Now, all of that being said, uh, our boy Robert Rogers is going to be returning and he sees what's going on over here and he goes, hey, I mean, New Hampshire seems to be about this. A lot of my friends are on the side of uh, this revolution thing here. I don't know. Let, let's see what it's all about, man. I don't like paying taxes. Live free or die, motherfucker. I'm from Hampshire, dog. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so he will offer his services to the cause and the leaders of the revolution were happy very, very happy to get the services of a French and Indian war hero, let alone the captain of the feared ranger unit. And then they're a little bit confused about, uh, 
Yeah, when you um, the, the joke we always hear is um, when you buy what you ordered on Wish versus what showed up on Wish. <laughs> to explain it to my father is a uh, if you ordered that um, Yeti cup that you have right here, yep. the wonderful Yeti cup provided to you. Uh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It would show you ordered up. that on Wish, and then uh, it would be uh, an ashtray. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You'd get an ashtray instead. Okay. We we're just like, I, but I wanted to drink out of this. Well, you still can. Um, right. So. That, that's what happens. They ordered Robert Rogers of the French and Indian War. That's what they were sold. And then what Washington, arrives- Washington, Bubby, I'm your <laughs> white knight. <laughs> yeah. What shows up is a surly drunk with money problems who really can't seem to keep much of his shit together. Yeah, he just came out of a British prison. Yeah. Uh, over in England, British prison. Um, so, you know, and now he's coming into here. Now he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all about you guys. Well, where have you been? Well, you know, it's been a little sketchy as to what I've been, what's been going on right there. How'd you get out? Well, I sued this General Gage guy. He gave me some cash. I'm, I mean, the, the Crown still owes me some money, actually. I mean, I'm a little bit pissed at that. Hang on, hang on. So he owes money all around and he just got out of prison on some sort of a weird. Is this guy a spy? We can't tell right now. We actually can't It's too tell. early to call. Right. But they're certainly not thrilled because that what they thought they were getting. They're like, we would put all ca- we would cast aside all doubts if we were getting Robert Rogers French and Indian War. I mean, you know what I mean? It, it's we're talking about getting uh, hell on uh, on on two feet, if you will, and uh, the White Devil himself, as the natives were calling him, because of his effectiveness in this uh, frontier style of combat. And you're not getting him. All right, he's uh, he's he's past his prime here, folks. Um, Wait, where's his family at this time? How long is he was he in debtor's prison? Uh, not too too long. You don't stay in debtor's prison for forever. It's not really long sentences. Well, yeah, the the wife is back up in Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire. Okay. You said more on that later, Dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got something for the way way later? Uh, yeah. Well, um, at some point, he's going to wind up uh, offering his services to General Washington himself. Father Washington. And this is what I really, if you made a, um, and, and we've talked about this for a little dumb project that I had in mind. If you talk about the founding fathers during the revolution and, and kind of put superhero qualities to them, Superman is George Washington because he is truth, justice. He does almost everything right all the time. Um, he's an interesting guy too, because he just goes, <laughs> I smell bullshit. <laughs> Something right here. Yeah, the bullshit alarm is yeah. definitely going off a lot. Why is this guy all of a sudden wanting to, what's going on here? So instead of accepting a uh, an offer for his services from Robert Rogers, uh, G-Dubs goes ahead and has him arrested, <laughs> orders his arrest. And LP, just out of curiosity, what goes down with that? Uh, he had, Washington orders his arrest as a spy. Um, and again, you got to appreciate the fact that you know, this guy's had dealings with General Amherst. He's had dealings with Gage. He's been thrown into prison. He's been appointed by King George III himself. So, I mean, where really does his loyalties lie? Is he really a British guy or is he uh, pro-colonial? I mean, there's a lot of former rangers that are now fighting for us. But, you know, he's been away while all this Lexington and Concord stuff. And he's been away while a lot of the stuff leading up to the uh, Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill and all the, you know, original early battles of the of a Revolutionary War. He's not been around. So, I mean, where do your loyalties really lie? Did you work a deal when you were back in England that you're going to come over here and work as a spy for us with these uh, upstart colonials? Uh, so, 
Washington has him uh, arrested as a spy. Um, what was what I found interesting, though, it's been quoted that Rogers was quoted that George Washington was the only man I was ever afraid of, <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote. So, you know, uh, George Washington was a big guy, according to um, uh, accounts too. Robert Rogers was a big guy. He's not some you know, meek and mild, little four foot nothing kind of a thing, just his his stature and size. And so was, so was Washington. But uh, it's like me trying to hide in the forest of skinny trees. <laughs> that's right. There's only a skinny little sapling and you're not doing a good job <laughs> hiding behind it, my friend. So G-Dubs is forced to, you know, go ahead and have him arrested. Where does uh, Robert Rogers wind up getting arrested, Dad? Oh, uh, well, where else? What's the center of the universe, Cahoons? Ah, uh, New Jersey? Yeah, well, this happens to be South Amboy, New Jersey. <laughs> so, uh, just, are you serious? South Amboy, New Jersey is where Robert Rogers was, uh, was uh, um, arrested as a spy by George Washington. My assumption so. is he was there for the Peruvian food. And then, uh, <laughs> and then went right. to that movie theater that's collapsing in on itself. <laughs> uh, local flavor, baby. Local flavor. <laughs> so, uh, Rogers, again, what does he do when he gets captured? He escapes. Okay. He's able to escape custody. And because he's a soldier of fortune first, okay, it's the end of the day here. He is a soldier of fortune. Rogers will escape custody and realizes that he's not going to be able to earn a post in the Continental Army. He goes, I've done this twice, and they've both tried to have me arrested both times. I even went to G-Dubs himself. So if the head of the the big swinging dick of the whole operation is putting me in irons, I don't think it's going to work out this way. So he decided he would offer his services to the British instead. After all, I mean, he's a loyal subject to the king, after all. (laughs) Right. Right not? And he's also in need of a job, and he's got no money. He just got out of debtor's prison, uh, you know. Got to make a buck somehow. Yeah. I mean, he has a, a girlfriend, wife on the side. You know, he's got a lot going on over here. The uh, <laughs> British give him the rank of colonel, and they're very happy. They said, oh, my God, we got Robert Rogers of Rogers Rangers. Is now, so now they're getting sold the uh, uh, coffee mug ashtray. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they go ahead and they give him the rank of colonel. They allow him to put together the Queen's Rangers. All right. And they would hope for the Rangers uh, of old. You know what I mean? They were hoping for the Rogers of old as well, not the broke, drunken, all around strange Rogers that they got. Rogers would appoint officers. This is great, by the way. Yeah. Rogers appointed officers to his ranks that the British just despised. They were like, remember we were saying earlier that the British were sitting there like uh, a guy like Amherst is saying, listen, you just got to learn how to work with this frontier guy. It's like a, a football coach. I always use these two examples. It's a football coach. Do you think. Um, a football coach who maybe wants a player a certain way, but understands he goes, this, this guy's, well, we got to, we got to work with his skill set. Right. Because what he can do can take us other places. He's got talent. Maybe he's an asshole, but he's got talent. It's a, yeah. He's got a certain set of skills. Oh, totally. <laughs> so it's there. It's just buried under a lot of alcohol. Yeah. But again, <laughs> the, uh, the British officers, the, uh, the officer corps, if you will, are pretty much all these, uh, um, upper societal types that, uh, um, it's yeah, your upper. Yeah. It's your definitely your upper class folks. Uh, upper class folks who totally. are making up the officer class um, of the British Army. And now this guy has a colonel position, and then his officers that he's going to start to appoint. They're all local tavern owners, so bars that he used to hang at, and you know what I mean. Like, oh yeah, what do you you want to? Uh, uh, I owe this guy some money down here. Oh, dude, why don't you just like be an officer in my unit instead, dude? Yeah. Just call the bar tab even. Uh, does the same thing over at local whorehouses. The owner of the local whorehouse winds up getting a commission. Uh, in a, or a, in a, a, I shouldn't say commission, a rank within uh, Robert Rogers' new Queen's He's Rangers. He's part of the here. officers' corps of the, yeah. of the uh, Queen's Guard, of the yeah. Queen's Rangers. Oh yeah, so he's uh, 
Uh, Roger's unit will see combat once, by the way. They do see combat once in the American Revolution. And uh, they get defeated. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. It's not good. Uh, he still has his intel background to rely on, though. And uh, he's able to pull this one pretty nefarious move that kind of earns him villainy in uh, the American history books for forever. Because uh, right now, he's just kind of a sad, drunk, uh, down on his luck, needing money kind of a thing. Um this is where it gets uh, a little unforgivable here. This is where I would say his turn into a uh, uh, full-on loser comes in. All right, he's he's definitely past his prime, but now he's able to kind of nefariously trick this uh, innocent young man who thought that he was doing good for his country. Yeah, college kid, college kid sneaking out there. He's out in Long Island, which is held by the British. He's trying to get some messages back over to George Washington. Uh, his name is uh, Nathan Hale. All right. Um, so oh, it wasn't Christian Cordes? <laughs> <laughs> that came later. <laughs> it's uh, he's the secondary one everybody forgot about. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I forgot to sneak that into the episode this one time. The uh, Nathan Hale is uh, of course uh, for more on him, please check out the episode we did dedicated completely to him. His story is fascinating and a little bit frustrating because uh, it seems like any time that uh, Nathan Hale gets you know met by somebody who goes, hey, are you um. Are you a spy for the Patriots? Because I am too. He would just go, that's insane. So am I. <laughs> yeah. And he would just break his own cover on the regular. Yeah. If you remember the episode, Nathan Hale was thrown into uh, this whole spy game without any kind of training whatsoever. And he gets tricked by uh, our own Robert Rogers into uh, – He's no spilling the beans, kind of a thing. He's no Bond. Yeah, he's not. Yeah. Well, we called him. We called him Double Dope Seven. (laughs) I think he's Double O O. So he never really made a. Did we bring up Rogers in that episode? Yes, that's one of the first times that we mentioned him because I I think I even say in that episode, "Stand by, we will get a full-on episode of Robert Rogers." And here we are, folks, living up to our promises. Next week, Preston Tucker. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, it's happening. It's happening. It's already on my calendar. So <laughs> you should see the smile on my face, people. Um, now, again, he's got uh, tavern owners, whorehouse owners, and uh, all this other stuff as officers in his unit. His con- they do not perform well in the field at all. But he is able to pull off this thing where he pretends. All right, Robert Rogers pretends to be a patriot spy, and uh, he convinces uh, Hale to actually be like, "Oh, so we're actually on the same side. Then we're both patriot spies." Leads to his capture. So he's able to turn over. So remember we were talking earlier about the difference between a scout and a spy? Yeah. So he's still playing the role of a scout, but he's also operating a little bit as a spy here too. And his uh, his espionage, if you will, is that he's able to uh, get Nathan Hale to admit who he is and what he's doing. And because of that, uh, Nathan Hale is going to have to say, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country as the young man is hung for his attempt to get involved with uh, the thing that he talked about at debate club with his uh, roommates about joining up with the revolution and having a life that meant something. And he becomes a giant symbol here. And certainly Robert Rogers, whose reputation was in decline, um, is definitely seen as a, a villain and definitely a, a scandalous now. Much yeah, the old so dickhead who killed the young, right. like, uh-huh. the young and, upstart. And he used to be the best of us. That's what hurts. Yeah, um, Jesus. And maybe George Washington uh, – could really sniff out. <laughs> he had a really accurate bullshit <laughs> meter. One, yeah, this is wild to me because, like, I know we've had losers who've had a fall before, but like, this one takes a nosedive, then hits a cliff and continues to fall. That's right. I feel, and I will lose some listeners on this one, but I'm sorry. This is just how I feel. 
But I remember as a kid, the first time I saw Bill Parcells as the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, after knowing him as the Giants head coach for my whole life, and just sitting there and saying, that's wrong. That's not supposed to, that's very wrong. This hurts. <laughs> and and I said, but that that's our guy. Why is he doing that? And that's what it's like seeing Robert Rogers fighting for the crown, also doing it so underhandedly uh, to lead to the, uh, the death of Nathan Hale here. So between... Uh, Putting together his own unit and you know putting uh, colonists into action against the revolution, okay, fourth crown, and then also the death of Nathan Hale. It's definitely going to ruin um, Roger's reputation. He's gone from once hero to current drunk to full on villain, and uh, it's actually going to lead to his early retirement from the British Army. They forced retire him due to poor health, and he's actually going to be forced from his homeland. Okay, so now you love New Hampshire. You fought to defend it. How many times? Uh, you can't stay here, dude. All right, we're sending your ass back over to England. And after some time in England, Rogers is given, and if, if you have something, jump in here too. Oh, I'll keep going. After some time in England, Rogers is given one last chance in Canada to put together a unit that they want to refer to as the King's Rangers. But at this point, the alcoholism had gotten too bad to the point that his position was terminated shortly thereafter. I mean, he couldn't get a goddamn thing together. I don't know. We, we joke a lot. Um, on the show, and it's always fun to tell drunk stories and stuff like that. When you see somebody who is just off the rails with booze, especially back in the day when they, these guys are drinking straight up rot gut and stuff like that, it's probably not pretty to witness. Oh yeah, and again, if you're somebody who served with him, and you're like the guy that we used to follow to the depths of hell is doing this now. I mean, this is this is a sad end over here. That's got to be crazy from John Stark's perspective as well, because he lives to be an incredible 93 years old <laughs> which no seriously like he that does. was one of the things that popped up and i was like 93 in those times that's like, not a bad that's run not in, a uh, bad run at all good run yeah especially when you're a booze bag to begin with so i'm looking at it, i'm just like damn to to watch that fall must have been something yeah jesus well at some point uh our boy robert rogers is actually going to be captured by an american privateer privateers being legal pirates and spend some time in prison before he's able to escape one last time. He's really good at this. Yeah. He's got Billy the Kid type numbers. Um, <laughs> he's sneaky. <laughs> Nothing else. Running. Robert, Robert Rogers. Slippery sucker. <laughs> However, though, he never seems to get right with the booze thing, the gambling, the bad decisions. He will die in obscurity and massive debt in 1795. When he is forced from uh, the United States, by the way, George Washington actually puts out a decree and granting him divorce from his wife. Okay, so that his he loses his wife and his kid when he gets sent back over to England. Wow. And the wife winds up marrying uh, somebody who was a, a, a sympathizer to the Patriot cause here later on, I think, Dad. But again, his death is now in 1795. So we've come full circle. We started with his birth. Okay, we've gone through the the heroic moments. We've gone through the, the, chain, the confusing moments. We've gone through uh, some straight up heel shit. Um, Lawrence Patrick. Yeah, I got a little. Uh, Take little us home. You got a couple here. A couple little interesting tidbit here too that we might have in that whole movie that I was so inspired by with Spencer Tracy, that Northwest Passage thing. Uh, there was a guy, Robert Young, who was like the big hero, uh, not second in command, but one of the one of the Rangers that fought with uh, Robert R Rangers, uh, Rogers rather. Um, in the movie. At the end of the movie, he comes back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire and marries uh, marries somebody. Well, in reality, 
it's uh, Rogers who marries somebody from Portsmouth, and she's the daughter of an influential minister in Portsmouth. So that's Portsmouth's big claim to fame, and Portsmouth is proudly displayed in the beginning of that movie. Um, but um, when Rogers was arrested and taken away in irons for treason by uh, General Gage after uh, after the whole Detroit incident and everything else, mm-hmm. um, uh, his wife from Portsmouth, Elizabeth, um, she files for divorce. Uh, two, it's an interwoven kind of a thing that uh, – in 1777 now, you're talking about um, Robert Rogers was captured by this American privateer. Well, that was kind of like a private navy that different towns would put up the money to have a, a privateer, somebody to go out and fight for the colonials because we didn't really have a colonial navy. So Have a, a private guard. Yeah, they were like a private guard, right? A, a private mercenary or um, – private army or navy in this particular case. Well, Portsmouth did that. And in 1777, um, Portsmouth, the town of Portsmouth, um, puts up this frigate and they name it the Ranger. (laughs) Right? So they name it the Ranger. And actually the figurehead on the front of this ship, the Ranger, is a Ranger holding a musket. So the carved figurehead, you know, typically yeah. would have some good-looking babe with her with her boobs hanging out. Well, they have this ranger holding the musket on the front of the ship. The ranger was the name of uh, right. Captain Charles Vane's ship too, Dad, on Black Sails. There you go. There you go. Uh, and in route, um, now the ship's figurehead is depicted as this colonial ranger holding the rifle. And in the following year, 1778, Elizabeth, who was married to Robert Rogers, um, petitions New Hampshire General Assembly for a divorce. She is divorced uh, on grounds of desertion and inf- infidelity. Well, yeah, when you're going to be deserted, when you're going out to Detroit and trying to capture Detroit, and then you're going to be thrown into uh, prison in, in England and everything else. So anyhow, she is granted that divorce. And ironically, Elizabeth then marries Captain John Roche. Now, Captain John Roche is also a booze bag. And he is originally given command of the ranger that he was going to take the ranger out of Portsmouth and go fight for the colonials. She's now married to this guy, right? But I guess Elizabeth wasn't really a good <laughs> good uh, um, uh, person to – a good uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? If you say lay and you're just <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> no. She wasn't a good judge of character, I guess, because uh, Captain John Roche is also a, a booze bag, and uh, he's found to be an untrustworthy character. So um, he's not given command of the ship Ranger. He's replaced aboard the Ranger by an ambitious young mariner by the name of John Paul Jones. Hey, loserception. John Paul Jones. Whoa. Jones sailed the Ranger into history even as Rogers was commanding the Queen's Rangers against his own homeland. <laughs> How deep down the rabbit hole did you fall? To <laughs> it's make it's sometimes three clicks. That's It can be as simple as three clicks. We're like, hang on. Yeah, it was a lot of reading. It was three clicks, but a lot of reading in between. We've but- changed topics before because I'll go and looking for something and then wind up somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. But, oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah, old uh, Lizzie must have been something, but- uh, 
Not a real good judge of character because she went. She's after a party her. girl. She ain't no hot to trot. <laughs> Peggy Shippen was the Paris Hilton. Okay. Yeah, but this was, girl is the. Uh, the she Nicole was also Ritchie. the minister's daughter too. So uh, you know, there's all that that whole thing too. But um, I thought that was pretty cool though. That ship is named the Ranger in honor of Robert Rangers, and now uh, Robert Rogers. Robert Rogers, and then uh, Rogers Rangers, and then uh, that that taken away the ship's captain is taken away and given to john paul john so that's that's the point that i like american loser that it's all these interconnects that oftentimes in the history book you read about a date and what happened on that particular date but there's no surrounding story to all of this this is, these are unbelievable times going on right now with the american in american history with the with the Revolutionary War and all the different people, all the oh, it's, uh, people all the different dirtbags yeah. that came together to form this country. It's How did George R.R. R. Martin ever come up with such a deep universe for his character? Uh, uh, look at history. Yeah, I think, <laughs> <That's right>. think he <laughs> – that man does read a lot of history, though. I'll say that much. Um, anything else you want to say on the way out? Nah, here, We're going to land this plane. Enough. We're going to land this plane. We did a great job here today. Kahuna, thank you so much for your patience. <laughs> Hey, man, this was awesome. This is a good one. It, it, we had to cover him, too. It was very important. There's uh, a, a comic I know by the name of James Mack. He was uh, adamant that we do a, a deep, deep dive on this guy. So I hope we did right by him. Um, uh, of course, guys, it's going to be uh, – this is Patreon uh, exclusive, so I hope you guys enjoyed. It means a lot to us. We get to do the deeper dives for you here. We really – we went way, way over the time we normally do for this one. Um and we Sorry, like to do Tristan, that. but you're going to have to take another ride. Yeah, Dr. Vedrero, we do apologize to you. Um, Stu, you can now step off the elliptical. <laughs> right, right, right. Take a breath. Uh, but I do want to say thank you to everybody who was uh, supportive of uh, when the first um, – my, my first little project online has come out. That's going to be the old uh, – uh, the greetings from Uncle Vinny's album. Um, and if uh, if you guys ever go to Uncle Vinny's, just ask, um, ask when I'm going to be coming back over there. Um, <laughs> So, but uh, a little inside baseball. Anyway, um, it, it's great though. The the album uh, it came out great. The sound is great. Hundred pound, eight hundred pound gorilla did an awesome job with it. Uh, I'll be putting up some of the promo stuff for that tomorrow during the day. Uh, I love doing this show, Lawrence Patrick. I'm going to go ahead and say we, we're hanging on to you right now. It, it's not for the best reasons that you're still up here in Jersey, but yeah, yeah, we're going to make that work for now. Um, man's got to do what a man's got to do. We might get maybe another episode or two out of uh, uh, you before you head back down to South Beach to become South Beach Larry. Uh, but for the time being, we'll hang on to you here. I'm very happy. This will be probably your last Patreon episode for a little bit, though, I think. Okay. We'll figure something out. Uh, we shall miss you. Oh, yeah. Uh, next uh, week's topic, you guys will tell you, but we won't tell everybody else. It will be Preston Tucker. The Kahuna's been wanting to do this for a couple of years, so we're finally putting the check yeah, in that I think, box. I think about episode three, he came up with Preston Tucker, Preston Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I only remind you, like, what, once a month? It's once a week? Well, once the, a day? when you first started yeah. bringing it up, we're like, well, I don't know if this guy, he keeps telling us he's moving to California. Do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, listen. Do we sometimes the movies are calling me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this, hey, <clears throat> you guys are going to dig it. I promise. It's a cool story. Oh, it's going to be very fun, man. I uh, I love uh, doing the show here. We love working with Mike and Ming on this stuff. There is stuff for, for loser I want to do. The problem that I have, it, it's so, and I'll just vent to you guys for two seconds here. Um, I want to change the show all the time, or I want to take a week off, or I want to um, recalibrate the show, maybe go into new different angles with it. Um, I don't know what to do when my father goes away because it's so fun doing the show with you every week. So I don't want to do it from Skype and I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't know how we're going to make it all work in the future here, but I want to take these times off all the time. 
and I wind up sitting there and then I just get these awesome messages from you guys telling us that either you just discovered the show or how great of an episode it was that you always listen, but you really love this particular one. And it makes me realize I can't quit. I can't stop. I have to write a term paper for forever. Yeah, this- keep sending those messages though, because a lot of the a lot of the loser topics came from you guys. So if you got a loser in mind, uh, please uh, don't don't hide it. Share it with us. We're very very lucky to have a a learned and uh, I'll say this: I don't have a, a ton of uh, fans, if you will, but the people who are already on board with what we do here, um, you guys have shown that you would go to war for us. <laughs> I will say this. The founding losers would follow us deep into Abenaki territory <laughs> and begin burning the villages to the ground. <laughs> Take no prisoners. Uh, oh, man. But, uh, but in, they're a great bunch of people. They really are. And it means a lot to us to do the show. So that, this is me saying a cordial thank you to all you guys here. So I'm going to – normally we would end it on saying uh, – uh, yeah, Robert Rogers, American loser. But we're going to end it on one of his uh, great all-time standing orders here. All right. So uh, on behalf of Lawrence Patrick Burke, the Big Kahuna, Mike Ming, everyone at a Shared Universe Podcast Studio, and myself, KP Burke. If you're not following me over at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram, go ahead and jump on that one. It's going to be all the promos going to be for this stuff. To quote the great Robert Rogers, rule number one, don't forget nothing. the day I was born.